Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here today. There's a lot happening both in agriculture and around the world. Russia formerly, formally rather, annexed several territories in eastern Ukraine, marking the biggest land grab in Europe in quite some time. In segment three, we'll be talking with geopolitical strategist John Holtzman about what's developing there in Europe, and he's also going to share his insights on Sunday's presidential election down in Brazil. Ahead of that, however, we are going to be speaking with Aaron Bohr, an economist at the U.S. Meat Export Federation about the pace of European meat production. It's been slowing, and I want to get Aaron's thoughts on where it could go from here and what that could mean for North American and American meat producers as we look out to the future. We're going to close the show with Willie Vogt, who's the executive director over at Farm Progress, and he's been looking ahead to the future of fuel on the farm. We've changed fuel sources a lot in agriculture, and another big shift might be coming. Willie has some insight on that. But before we get to all of that, folks, we're going to talk about the markets. Grain trade a little bit subdued ahead of the quarterly grain stocks report coming out a little bit later today. But livestock are moving, specifically the hog market. Joining me to talk about it is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. And Dwayne, hogs and pigs report out yesterday must have been bullish looking at the trade action today. You know, yeah, it was slightly bullish. You know, about you know, all pigs uh, were down about 1%, kept for breeding the same, down 1%, and kept for marketing also down 1%. Now, of course, they rounded off. Actually, all pigs were down about 1.4%, so closer to that 2% I was hoping for. So a slightly bullish report and getting the market to bounce a little bit today. Now, remember, the hog market has had a very rough uh, stretch here where we've sold off sharply with some funds exiting, saying, get me out no matter what price. Um, so we're down to, what, 76 bucks in these hogs right now. But sadly, I don't know if I see a lot of bullish momentum. You know, we can bounce back a little bit, but... I don't see any any numbers glaring to me telling me we have to get back in the 90s for the Deese Hogs either. All right. So this report, that bullish 1% drop wasn't bullish enough to really get the market, get those outside <laughs> money managers back in, huh? Not with all the outside macro market influences we have right now. I think it just got the funds a little bit nervous, and they just decided, I just don't want to be in the hogs right now, and they got out. And, and obviously, China's not buying a ton of pork from us right now. But when you look over there, their hog prices are rather high. So it's just an odd time of year, Mike. we got uh, all this recession talk and macro markets outside skewing our markets daily. But uh, harvest going on, supply issues, supplies are tight. It's Like I said, it's an odd trading season right now. It certainly is. There's more than enough happening for us to fill plenty of time here on the show to discuss what's going on. I want to turn the focus over to the grain markets. You mentioned harvest is underway. Dwayne, you're up in South Dakota. Anybody running around you quite yet? Just kind of started going yesterday or the day before, poking around just a little bit. And I got to say, I think the soybean yields will be slightly disappointing up here in northeast South Dakota. Now, we had good rains early, um, thought we were going to have a big crop to help southeast part of South Dakota, which had the drought, but we had a poor finish, just no rain in August and September to speak of, and I think that took the top end off just a little bit up here. Yeah, I'm sure that it did, Dwayne, and that no rain across the northern Corn Belt, that is creating struggles for shippers along the Mississippi here with barge rates setting records. What's your thought here on basis as we get through harvest? You mentioned we've got variable supply and a lot of other factors impacting uh, basis around the country. We sure do, but boy, you're right. Uh, last couple of days, the news headlines have really surrounded the, the lower water levels along the Mississippi River, and of course, that increased the barge freight rates to record levels. Well, that could obviously be a problem. I mean, we're headed into the low water season or low precip season with low water levels. That's not a, a good situation to be in, so basis might be affected there along the river. It uh, might actually help some of my uh, neighbors to the north of me in North Dakota, because most of those beans get railed out to the PNW. So maybe China will look to buy beans out of the PNW versus the Gulf. So uh, it's going to make for some odd basis movement in the Midwest. It is. And you mentioned China stepping in to buy on this week's export sales reports. And it's good to have those back. If anybody from the USDA is listening, thanks for getting those back to us. But we did see China step in in a fairly good sized way in the soybean market. Dwayne, are they coming back? 
I, I think so. I, I've been a little bit more friendly that way. I mean, I, I understand, you know, their demand has been slower lately. Everyone thinks, you know, due to a pullback, they won't buy as much. I think it was just high prices they didn't want to buy. So I think when we get dips in our market, you know, China is a very hungry, aggressive end user is going to be right there to buy. And yeah, thank goodness, because the last couple of weekly export sales have been kind of bearish, but they did step in this week with a big way. And I think that's going to continue. You know, would they love to wait for Brazil? And, and they will for as much as they can, but they're still going to have to buy some more of our beans before Brazil's harvest comes in. All right. They didn't get all their supplies met with uh, discount Argentinian beans, you don't think? Not all of them, no. But you're, you're right to bring that up. You know, Argentina, their government did fluctuate their currency, which I think ends today. But, boy, they, the farmers there took advantage of that and sold a lot of beans. So those are the beans that are getting there. But, no, I, I, that's not enough to supply China all the way to Brazil's crop. Boy, I sure hope not. Otherwise, I'm in trouble holding my soybeans up here. <laughs> <laughs> what what are you watching for to get them unloaded? Dwayne, as you think about the soybean market here, you mentioned your holding. What's the line in the sand you've got? Well, uh, honestly, it sounds like a crazy high number, but I, I'm looking at the charts and seeing that 1550, and that's kind of a, a goal and target of mine, but I think it's going to take some time now. Um, you know, during this harvest season, there's always going to be pressure on the markets, and I don't see the bullish news coming out that can make this market really go up and get back up into the $15 level. But the reason I'm holding on our farm is, is the tight supplies. Um, you know, we've got tight old crop supplies. I don't think the new crop is going to be huge. I think USDA is really close on the yield. And if demand is even remotely close to last year, it's just very tight. So we got to raise a heck of a crop next year, and Brazil's crop obviously is just starting to be planted. One weather scare down there for that crop size, and China will come back in and buy ours, and I think get me to that price goal. You know, I think that's a really good point, Dwayne. The market is anticipating much larger acreage out of Brazil. They're anticipating a bigger crop we heard on the program yesterday. So, yeah, any weather scare is going to drastically adjust that uh, global supply and demand balance sheet, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, something with Brazil, we just go into their growing season and just assume that big record crop right away and high yield. And, you know, through their expansion of acres, like you mentioned in yesterday's show, I mean, I understand that that's fine. But with La Nina going on until at least into the early part of 2023, man, just a little weather scare and we trim down that, that crop size, just an estimate, doesn't have to actually happen, but just a, a scare of that. And boy, I think our beans could take off. Now, Obviously, on the other side of that is all this economic news all the time. And, and I'm not a macroeconomics expert. I don't know how the recession will affect. I just know our supplies are tight, and we still need to grow crops. We certainly do. Those fundamental demands are out there. Dwayne, before we let you go, cash cattle bids, they're not seeing strength provided by the hog market. Where do you think we come in this week? You know, I think I saw some yesterday. A decent values, um, you know, in that 145, 144 area, maybe off just a little bit from last week, which is understandable with the futures market pullback. Um, again, I've been promising the lower inventories coming up, and I haven't seen them yet, but fingers crossed. I think drought still keeps pushing in these cold cows in, and eventually that'll stop, and then we'll get tighter. I think you're right. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Thanks for joining us this week, Dwayne. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to continue this conversation about meat around the world next with Aaron Bohr of the U.S. Meat Export Federation looking at that meat production coming out of Europe. Stick around for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a four bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Less isn't always more. Take managing a fleet, for instance. You need a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. And that's exactly what you get with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Roadmaster XL even adds more life to your fuel system's injectors and injector pumps. That's a lot more than we can say about typical number two diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And gentlemen, appreciate you tuning in to the show today. Earlier this week on Monday, I had the opportunity to travel down to Kansas City for the Kansas City Ag Business Network's Ag Outlook Forum. A number of great presenters we've heard from Arlen Suderman here on the program already this week. And among them was Erin Borer. She's an economist at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. If you've listened to AOA for a while, you've heard her here on the program before. And she had a lot to celebrate with regard to U.S. meat exports here over the past year and had some reasons for opportunities. The industry changes around the world that I wanted to get Erin on and kind of flesh these ideas out a little bit. So she joins us here today. Erin Borer, thank you so much for joining us on AOA. Yeah, good morning. Thanks, Mike. Let's start first, I think, and foremost with the good news for U.S. meat exports here over this past year. Erin, we have been moving a lot of U.S. pork and a lot of U.S. beef off our shores, haven't we? Definitely. It has been a tremendous story, really, yes. We have been on a record pace all year. Is that correct? On the beef side, definitely. So exports have been topping a billion dollars a month, six out of seven months for which we have official data. So, yeah, the value of seven, nearly $7.2 billion exported through July, that was a 29% increase year on year. And um, on the volume side, running up 6%. So, yes, tremendous on the beef side, you know, continuing that to beat that record pace that we saw last year. And on the pork side, um, it's a bit more complicated, but still, when you dig into the numbers, I think it's a much more positive story than what it appears on the surface. So, um, again, through July, you had exports at $4.2 billion. That was down 15% year on year. But much of that continued to be China, which we knew was going to happen as they you know, rebounded and over-rebounded from ASF and um, on volume down 17% to close to 1.5 million tons. But 
we have to remember on the pork side, uh, we've had much stronger prices. And so this is still a good news story. We had some tightening up in production and strong domestic demand overlaid with still strong export demand, especially in the Western Hemisphere. And so, you know, Mexico just continuing to be super impressive. Um, talking to exporters earlier this week, they reiterated they don't see that demand slowing down in Mexico and in Colombia, Dominican Republic. And so, again, to me, when you see these strong prices, the exports are still doing their job on helping to maximize the value of every animal. And even when we have strong domestic demand, they're still adding on the export side, adding that, you know, competing bid and on the muscle cuts, not to mention the importance of variety meats. And that's where China has actually held up. We've seen those variety meat um, volumes. So feet, um, stomachs, tongues, ears, heads. Now um, that those volumes have been ticking higher since about um, March, April. And that is where China continues to add value as well, even though the muscle cut business is, is down hard. And again, that on the cuts, it's because we can't compete on price. So that's not a bad news story. That means we have really strong prices. That is a great point. And you mentioned the, the complexity in the global pork supply chain. And Aaron, on Monday, you talked about how Europe is seeing their pork production adjust. They've long been the world's second largest pork producer, but they're facing some challenges. And I know African swine fever continues to impact that market. Is that impacting their exports out of the EU? It is. Um, and within Europe, of course, it's it's somewhat complicated, as you can imagine, but there's been a lot of things um, in play for a while now, and it feels like it's sort of just snowballing into this year. So African swine fever, definitely major factor for Europe in general, and especially for Germany, which was the biggest producer and exporter out of Europe. Spain has since displaced them. And Poland was kind of an up-and-comer, but of course they got ASF all the way back in 2014, so that has really knocked them out. Uh, but the interesting thing within Europe is that, you know, having the EU now 27, they can shift product, or like they can still trade within Europe. Um, and so even though their access from ASF countries is heavily restricted as far as third-party export markets or third-country markets, they can move product within Europe, you know, Follow, still following their zoning rules that the European Commission has adopted. Um, and so Spain has been able to export a heck of a lot um, and backfill as needed from other member states. But it's still been damaging. Uh, it has, ASF has still really hurt uh, prices and producers lost a lot of money over the past couple of years. And we have to also remember on top of the ASF challenges is the European regulatory um, constraints. And especially yes, in Germany, I'm they glad you brought ahead. that up, Aaron, because that is a huge issue. As we look forward, we saw it explode in the Netherlands earlier this year, but it's impacting ag across the European community, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a it's a warning sign, I think, to, to us. And especially for me, um, we're family ranching in California. I think it's definitely a warning sign. Uh, yeah. But but yes, um, it varies by member state. So like you said, the Netherlands, we've been watching those farmer strikes where the government is mandating major cuts in emissions like nitrogen or nitrates. And in Germany, it's similar. So they, that government has been ahead on both environmental and animal welfare. And that is part of what's driving this double digit decrease in Germans, Germany's pork production this year, down like 12%. And so Spain's growth had been offsetting this kind of longer term trend decline in Germany and that's no longer enough to offset. And so oh, wow. European pork production is down four percent. We've not really seen that type of reduction in European output in recent history. Aaron, in order to get that that downturn in output accomplished, did the German government buy out hog producers or did it just get hard enough or more expensive to do business so they voluntarily left the industry? Yeah, no, they've been forced out of production. Definitely. And I mean, producers wow. did, they've just lost enough money that they've been forced to exit. And yeah, we've watched over, you know, decade and a half, I've been the last to um, doubt European production because they've continued to produce. Last year was record pork production out of Europe. So we have to remember that too. They've continued to produce through what seemed just 
unsurmountable headwinds. But this time, you know, we just question, is it different really this time? Um, because you also have, of course, the high feed prices, the high energy prices, extremely high input costs. So Europe's hog price today is up 55% from last year, but it's still not a, you know, profitable situation in a lot of cases because their costs are so high as well. Wow. And with winter coming, natural gas prices still elevated. Keeping those barns warm in Poland and Germany and the Netherlands this winter is going to be an additional challenge on that hog production. Aaron, do you think this downturn in European pork production is is permanent? Is this something we're going to see for the next several years? That's where I'm I'm not entirely sure, Mike, whether I'm ready, ready to bet that way, because like I said, they just seem to have this incredible ability to keep on. But let's just put it this way. The European Commission's long-term outlook is for European pork production to decline by roughly 1% per year over the 10-year outlook. And that's a huge drop in global supplies when you look at it that way. And so we look at this as an opportunity. You know, when we talk to export customers, um, look, the U.S. is your supplier uh, of the future, your supplier of choice, because we've had some productivity challenges. We've had a slowdown. We know that. But in general, uh, USDA's baseline still calls for an increase in U.S. pork production over the outlook, over the long term. And the European Commission is saying, whether that's policy-driven or not, they say that the farm-to-fork and Green Deal is not in their forecast, uh, that they see this long-term decline in European production. So that's kind of what I point to for now. And, um, wow, I'm so wait, they see this decline happening regardless of what happens with the farm-to-fork initiative? Like, it could get worse if they double down on the farm-to-fork? Exactly. Wow. Are U.S. producers going to be able to capture this market, Aaron? So we compete heavily with Europe, especially in the Asian markets, but they've been undercutting U.S. products even in the Western Hemisphere uh, for the past year and a half or so. And even with this improvement in Europe's hog price, our exporters are still seeing cheaper European product in the market. So it, it they have been tough to compete against. Um, and then you add on the strong dollar on top of that, and it's been a real slog. But when we look ahead, we do see potential for U.S. to recover and even grow market share if Europe can finally pull back. And the other thing is, um, you know, China China's slowdown really offset the drop in Europe's production so far this year. So we can't forget, you know, how does China play into this in the future? That continues to have a big impact on the global balance sheet. But yes, there is potential for U.S. as we look ahead in these export markets. All right. Good news there from Erin Borer, economist at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Always appreciate her insights. And folks, stick around. We'll keep the focus on the globe when we return with John Holzman, geopolitical strategist. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running, so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As you start thinking about your wheat or rye buying decisions this fall, keep in mind the commitment your seed companies are making to new seed innovations. Our Seed Innovation Protection Alliance members reinvest 15% of their sale into bringing you new genetics with improved agronomic and end-use quality traits that increase your profit potential. SEPA seed companies thank growers for buying new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and seed dealers. Don't cut corners. Buy the best seed possible. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, as we take a look at what's happening in the market trade, we see markets on the ag side relatively mixed ahead of USDA's quarterly grain stocks and small grain summary reports that are out at 11 a.m. Central Time. History shows a tendency for the wheat crop to get smaller in this report in recent years, while the quarterly stocks reports are known for their market-moving surprises in either direction, often with a direction lacking clear logic. However, all of this is going to continue to take place amid headwinds from a strong dollar and elevated recessionary fear levels on Wall Street. As we see that stocks again attempted to bounce overnight as Wall Street approaches the weekend, the end of the month, and the end of the quarter, and in some cases, the end of the fiscal year as well. The dollar trading near 112.6 here this morning with the VIX trading near 32. Now also, the United Nations called today's move by Russian President Putin to annex four oblasts of Ukraine a dangerous escalation of the crisis. Putin quickly called a forced referendum in the oblast and pronounced the annexation as Ukraine made significant advances to reclaim much of the territory gained by Russian forces in the early part of this year. The Ukrainian war is going to keep grain and oil seed traders on edge as we head into the weekend, even as they brace for today's USDA reports and more. Overall, lightly mixed trading either side of unchanged in corn, beans, and in the wheat markets, while livestock trade is also relatively quietly mixed and choppy here as we work through Friday morning. Crude oil is down over a dollar a barrel. We're below $80 a barrel, kind of hanging around that $79 a barrel mark with the stock market losing a little bit here this morning as well, down uh, about 200 points in the Dow Jones. Corn market, again, as I mentioned, uh, pretty much right around unchanged here, about a penny either side of it so far today. Soybeans, same story, about a penny or two either side of unchanged. And the wheat market, same story there, about a penny or two either side of unchanged. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. You know, we just talked with Aaron Borer there from the U.S. Meat Export Federation about the challenges in Europe, amongst them the skyrocketing energy costs. Well, my next guest gets to pay those energy costs. It's John Hulsman. He's a geopolitical strategist. He's the host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast, and he lives in Milan, Italy. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mike. I want to start first with what's happening in Ukraine. We did see Russia formally, formally rather, annex several different parts of the Eastern Plains where they've seen gains. John, how does this change the war there in Eastern Europe? Well, I mean, he's panicking a little. Uh, he's trying to lock in the gains that he made initially in the war. In the South, he's still in relatively good position. The offensive around Kharkiv, though, in the Northeast has left him badly rattled. And so what he's saying by having these hastily de declared sham referenda and then making them part of Russia proper, he's upping the ante because in nuclear doctrine, there's a rule in Russia that you're allowed to defend yourself with tactical nuclear weapons if your own territory is at stake, which would not be true if Ukraine were a foreign country and you were invading it, which is the reality. But by now making them legally part of Russia, what Mr. Putin is trying to do is get people to put the brakes on the Ukrainian offensive. That's not likely to work, but it's certainly upping the ante and making people very nervous. 
Yeah, nervous indeed, John. Of course, we're also headed into winter, and winter in that part of the world has stopped Napoleon, it stopped Hitler, but Putin's come in the other direction. How does winter change the equation? I think winter actually helps Putin, as it always seems to help Russian leaders, that at the moment, the offensive, is the Ukrainians are on the offensive, and they're making slow but steady progress in the south and rather more dramatic progress in the northeast. They now have a lot of Western, particularly American weaponry. They've learned how to use it. It takes time to do that. The Russians at the moment are waiting for their next in installment of conscripts to be called up, about 190,000, but they won't be on the front lines till the spring. So winter will slow the entire thing down. It will take the offensive perhaps away from the Ukrainians, give the Russians more time to train their conscripts. And given where he is, I think that suits Mr. Putin to the ground. John, you mentioned this sham referenda there in eastern Ukraine would open the door for Russia to claim self-defense if they were to use a nuke. That's that's a big idea. John, how would the world respond? How are we? Should this be a risk that we take seriously or is it just Putin talking? It's, it's Putin talking, but the problem is what if we're wrong? What if there's a 10% chance that we're wrong? And, and that's, that's the reality. It is highly unlikely that Putin used nuclear weapons. And if he were, it would be a tactical nuclear weapon, which isn't like one sees in the movies and, and the missiles of October or something where the entire world is blown up. It would be a very specific, very concentrated weapon. It would not lead necessarily to Armageddon, but that still, as you say, I was in Washington, Mike, a couple weeks ago to talk to senior Republicans with whom I'm close. And we all stood and looked at each other and said, it's Kennedy time. We sound like Jack and Bobby Kennedy dealing with this. And these are words, tactical nuclear weapon, I never thought I'd deal with in a serious way. But we've never had before a nuclear power beginning to lose a war and on its own territory. This is in Afghanistan, Iraq, Vietnam. This is in a, a place that is close to Russia, near and dear to Putin's heart. And to lose territory over something he considers fundamentally essential this has never happened before. And so that puts us in very uncharted territory. How does that change the equation? John, how should it change our equation here as we're looking out to the future? We just hope it doesn't happen? No, I mean, President Biden has to do much more about articulating what American war aims are. At the moment, the Biden administration has written a series of blank checks to the Ukrainians. And although most people I know were in favor of providing Ukraine with weaponry at the beginning to help them with self-defense, as the war has gone along and as the United States foots the bill, I get to pick the party music if it's my party. If I'm paying more than the rest of the world put together to literally keep Ukraine going as a government, I get to have war aims. And our war aims and Ukrainian war aims are never going to be exactly the same. No two states have exactly the same national interests. And so this is something that really has to be seen to. And, and by not saying what our war aims are, this allows mistakes to happen. And that's what has to be avoided. I hope that President Biden is much more clear in what American war aims are. I've yet to hear that. Yeah, I think a lot of folks would like to hear that from this administration. John, I want to turn the focus away from Russia back to Europe, where you call home. We've seen a populist rightward shift in Europe here over the past several months. For on the ground, what's your take? George Maloney, your new prime minister, and of course, Liz Truss there at the UK. Does this symbolize yeah. something changing in European politics? Well, it does. I mean... Remember that Italy last had an elected prime minister in 2011. It's been a long time. They've had a series of technocratic governments and coalitions ever since where they've put in people who were never elected to be prime minister. That's very anti-democratic. Uh, and often these people are seen, as Mario Draghi certainly was, as lackeys of the EU. Maloney became popular because she stayed out of that government of experts, that national unity government, and became the only voice of opposition, at which she was very good. She pointed out that COVID restrictions were, were not done democratically, that Draghi was ruling through decree, and that this should be run through parliament instead. And as she began to point out the shortcomings in the Draghi's COVID policy at all, her numbers started going up. And so you do see here, I think, a mini revolt against the European Union. Now, let's not go too far. Italy's going to get 200 billion euro in COVID relief funds. And again, if the EU is paying for things, they get to have a say in what happens. But you will see a more skeptical Italy, not as in lockstep with France and Germany as you did before as she tries to reassert Italian sovereignty. So yeah, it is a big deal. It's a big deal, John. Of course, Europe has been uh, trying to present a unified face against uh, Russian aggression. Did these political changes 
make you question that as we head into winter? Not, not for Maloney per se. She's been persuaded by Draghi all along to support quite wholeheartedly Ukrainian efforts. For instance, she is strongly for sanctions still remaining in place, though I would have a look at which ones are working and which ones aren't. She's much more full-throated in her support for Ukraine there. Her two coalition partners, the League of, Mar of, of Matteo Salvini, um, certainly is not, neither is Forza Italia of Silvio Berlusconi, but as long as she's the dominant factor and she easily got more votes than both Berlusconi and Salvini put together, Italy will remain a pro-Ukrainian place. But you hit the key point, Mike, with winter coming, with energy bills off the chart, with Europe scrambling to have an energy policy, having been in the pocket of the Russians through their suicidally stupid energy policy of two decades, you wonder how long they're going to support this, particularly in the spring. At the moment, German tanks, oil tanks are about 80% full. They'll get through the winter with high prices, but they will. But come the spring, there's going to be a gap between them getting new sources of natural gas from Qatar, Norway, the United States, and this time when they run out of oil. And it's that gap that's really worrying European policymakers, which will be in the spring and into the summer of next year. All right. We'll be watching for more headlines out of Europe. John, I want to take our focus down to South America. If we can, there is a Brazilian sure. presidential election on Sunday, yes. or at least the first round of one. What's your expectation watching the polls and watching how things have progressed down there? I think that there's no doubt that in a free and fair election, Lula is going to win. Lula da Silva, who was the former president, who was a leftist populist, my favorite kind, who balanced his budget and took the commodity boom and then helped alleviate some poverty. Unfortunately, Lula was also involved in widespread corruption as are most Brazilian political leaders, to be honest, and has been tarnished since, but he's still the most popular politician in the country. President, Current President Bolsonaro, who's seen as sort of the Trump of the tropics is what he's called, was very skeptical about COVID, has run a rather ramshackle administration. And there's no doubt Lula is ahead of Bolsonaro by anywhere from eight to 10 points in the polls. The question is, will Bolsonaro go quietly? He has in the past talked about his admiration for the Brazilian military dictatorship of 1964 to 1985. And so there is some nervousness that if he loses, there may be some sort of comment where he says the vote isn't free and fair. But frankly, I think Brazil's military is unlikely to back up Bolsonaro. So although this is concerning on our, on, on our political risk radar, I think Lula will win in the end, and I think the military will not heed Bolsonaro's kind of willing to, to call, call into question the democratic result. John, you touched on the differences there between Bolsonaro and Lula. They are big. Do you anticipate big political changes coming to Brazil should Lula win the election? Well, one of the things about Lula that's interesting is that although he's a, a social justice warrior, a former trade union official, and definitely on the populist left, he also balanced the budget and ran a rather tight monetary policy where he gave uh, the central bank a great deal of freedom. And so on fiscal matters, I think that you'll see things move along in rather a similar way. On social matters, I think you'll see vast differences. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. All right, John, before we let you go, of course, here later on in October on the 16th, we've got the 20th Congress of the Communist Party in yes. China. President Xi Jinping, big day for him. Anything that, that Xi could do in the next two weeks to secure his position even more? I think, no, I think what he wants to do is not scare the horses. And I've said this to you before, Mike, I think for the last few months, that's been the name of the game. The G sees himself as going back to the old Maoist system where he will be president for life, doing away with the more collegial system of Deng Xiaoping. And I don't think he wants to do anything at all to rock the boat between now and say the end of the year as he settles in after the 20th party conference to a lifetime of power. After that, in the new year, I think all bets are off as China has this window of opportunity we've talked about to try to figure out what to do about Taiwan. But for the moment, things will be quiet because the domestic imperatives this year are just so overriding. John, we'll have to get you back on after that 20th Communist Congress to get your thoughts on how things look in China long term. But for now, tell our listeners, where can they hear your Substack? Well, I was going to say, if you just put my name at johnhalsman.substack.com, you'll get Around the World in 20 Minutes, which is our weekly take on exactly what you and I are doing, Mike. Thanks a lot. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Our thanks to John Hulsman, geopolitical strategist in Milan. John, we wish you the best as winter gets colder there in Europe. I won't tell you what my heating bill will be, Mike. Oh, boy. Folks, stick around. We're going to talk with Willie Volt, the Executive Director of Farm Progress, when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. 
diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Smart stays on the road. That's why it's in your engine. Because you wouldn't settle for subpar performance. Cenex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. These premium oils maintain 80% of their viscosity throughout the drain interval for superior engine performance across extreme temperatures. That horizon looks good with the competition behind you. Cenex Maxtron diesel engine oils. Oil that runs smart. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff 
like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, we have been talking for the better part of the past year about energy prices. They have been accelerating, but also we have seen energy options opening up as well. We've seen some new entrants to the world of liquid fuel. We've seen some new entrants to the world of hydrogen fuel cells, battery electric power. All of these different technologies are coming out right now, and farmers across the country are looking out to the future for their operations and beginning to think about about how these new fuels could play a part in how they've run their businesses. Willie Votes, the executive director over at Farm Progress, and he recently ran a survey asking farmers about these various types of fuel. And Willie, it seems like farmers are open to new new ideas and powering their machinery. Yeah, it looks like it. I think, uh, good to talk to you, sir. Um, I think that they are. I think they're looking at what's going on in the marketplace. And also, uh, you know, the part of the pressure on some of this renewable fuel work is the magic word renewable and sustainability. And the new fuels we're looking at have a different greenhouse gas picture and uh, different carbon structure, which makes a big difference in telling our story about doing a better job on sustainability. Absolutely. And Willie, what struck me was that most of the farmers in the survey that you ran were willing to stick with fuels that they were similar to stuff they were already comfortable with, like renewable diesel, renewable biodiesel, all of these uh, fuel sources keep expanding. And you had some of them at a Farm Progress Show this year, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We uh, obviously there's a lot of interest in renewable diesel, and we had the you know the American Soybean Association talking about that, and then also over at one of the exhibits over at Farm Next, actually, we had an example of a truck that um, they didn't have the truck there. Okay, let's be clear, <laughs> but they had a company called Clear Flame, which is a startup that's had uh, success turning a diesel truck into burn uh, 98% ethanol. Um, yeah, it's very cool. What was the response at Farm Progress to that technology, Willie? I, I talked to BJ about it. He said there was a lot of response. Obviously, the National Corn Growers Association is quite interested in this truck and its development. And I think the other step is that uh, Clearflame announced a few couple of months ago that they're also working with John Deere and they're working with John Deere's nine liter engine, which is a very popular engine. So this technology is moving closer to market. Uh, there are three semis, I think, in the field now on the road, I guess, running ethanol. And uh, I asked, I haven't, to honestly, I haven't heard the truck start. It sounds like a diesel. So that's what I've been told. Uh, you know, when I'm trying I had to get chance, in the cab. So. Yes. When I had the chance to talk to BJ, that was one of my big questions is, hey, how much is this going to change the sound from the stacks? And he says not much. He says it sounds just like a conventional diesel truck. So it's pretty neat to see this coming forward to fruition, isn't it, Willie? Oh, it is. And it's exciting about that. And I'm also as excited about renewable diesel and what that's going to mean for the soybean market. So there's some good news out there for these two kinds of fuels. There certainly is. But Willie, when we look at the broad media talking about the future of transportation, the focus is on electricity, battery electric or hybrid electric. What was the farmer response to the electricity option? Yeah, it's pretty low. Um, and that's only because there's there's a whole bunch of infrastructure questions. I ran a story recently about even looking at biomethane. You need infrastructure to, to do this. The other challenge with electric tractors is horsepower limitation. Um, the most powerful electric tractor I know of right now is about 80 horsepower. Um, and Fent has a prototype they're working on. It's an 80 horsepower tractor. Unless something changes with battery technology, that limits what we can do with that kind of electricity. Now, electric over hybrid with a diesel engine, that may have an opportunity. And there's a lot of interest in going. If you think about electric fuel cells, and I know Pekar, the big uh, semi maker, semi tractor maker, has a fuel cell tractor they're experimenting with on road as well. And it fuels fast because you just pump it full of hydrogen and hit back the, hit the road. Now, the concern I, I understand we have with hydrogen, uh, right, is that it's a little explosive, isn't it? <laughs> 
Everybody remembers the Hindenburg. <laughs> yes, we uh, it, it can be, but you know that gasoline you're putting in your tank, my friend. Yeah, it's a good uh, point. What was the what was the old ad? A cup of gasoline is equivalent to two sticks of dynamite or something like that. You've got to be careful with gasoline too. And so hydrogen will be a different situation. And there will be other fuels that come along. Compressed natural gas has also got a lot of interest. And you know, we can make natural gas and dairy farms clean it up, renewable natural gas, and that can be compressed and run in trucks and tractors too. So I think we're going to see, the interesting thing about this whole thing is when I did the, the survey, I was like, well, what the answer will be all these guys are going to think biodiesel. No, they were open to ethanol and they are looking at the other types of fuel sources that are out there. Willie, you cover technology day in and day out there at Farm Progress. You watch these things as their development proceeds. Is 2023 the time to make an investment in one of these technologies, or do you still want to just watch things as they develop? Well, I think obviously renewable diesel would probably be the easiest one because it's it's pipelineable. It's exactly diesel. And if a farmer had an access to something like that, he could probably use it on his farm. So I would say if that's an opportunity for your farm in 2023 and it's part of your sustainability story, which some farmers have to do that based on some other things happening in the market, I'd say go for it. With regard to electricity, if you're a if you if you want a smaller tractor and you think you can do electric, I mean, uh, Select Track was at the Farm Progress Show. They have a 25 horse little tractor, uh, nice unit, and it's good for mowing, good for chore work around the farm. It's got a PTO. That that kind of stuff's out there. It might be worth checking it out if you've got a charging infrastructure. And solar panels are a big deal, and farmers are doing more of that. Are you still seeing the solar panel explosion here on farms, Willie? Well, we are, but it depends on the deals that are being made. And I think there's a rising concern on that because they keep putting it on the best farm ground. <laughs> yeah, that is a huge concern. I'm hearing a lot of uh, states taking a look at that, Willie. It'll be interesting to see how this develops. I did want to ask you, you asked these questions about technology at the Farm Progress panel. Can you talk a little bit about what panel is? Yes, actually, panel is something that any farmer can sign up for. You first need to sign up for our mobile text service and you text farm. F-A-R-M to 20505, and that will get you into the master list. Once you're in that list, you can then opt in to be part of our panel. And what that is, is we will we text out a question like the question we texted last week regarding uh, fuel choices that a farmer might be open to. And they're little five question things, pretty simple to do and gets out there with that. If you want to share your opinion, just text FARM to 20505. Willie Vote, Executive Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mike. Take care. And folks, tune in next time here on AOA. We're going to talk weather with John Baranica. We're going to talk politics with Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress. We'll see you then for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. Today's cereal plant breeders' efforts now contribute up to 70% of your farm yields, up from 50% via better plant genetic potential. The Seed Innovation Protection Alliance member companies want to earn your business as they reinvest 15% of their sales into better genetics with new traits for higher yield, improved end-use quality, and crop vigor for a changing environment. Join us in reinvesting in your future. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP.